Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Aaron Johnson. Aaron is a facilitator, public speaker, and touch activist who practices closeness as a way to break down barriers between people. As co-founder of both Holistic Resistance and the nonprofit Grief to Action, Aaron takes the time to hold the stories of Black people around homophobia, transphobia, internalized racism, and those that are chronically undertouched. Because oppression is a part of historical and present American culture, the long-term impact of those trauma stories should be acknowledged and held as a map for our collective healing. Aaron Johnson practices and invites various methods of moving through these stories, such as the communal listening ear, sound healing, meditation, and closeness to the earth. While there are so many old beliefs and behaviors that need to be changed, here's one we haven't covered. The need for more platonic touch, specifically among black males. That's exactly the mission of my next guest, Aaron Johnson. He's making thoughtful platonic touch Googleable. You're going to love this conversation. Here we go. Okay, everybody. I am with Aaron Johnson, and we are talking about something we have not discussed on this show, and it's the life-saving act of interrupting lack of touch. And there's so much we need to know about this. So I brought in someone who can share wisdom and insight to help us understand. Welcome, Aaron. Mm, so good to be here with you. Tell us about this whole lack of touch thing and how it affects us. Well, for me, I think everyone has touch enters their world from their personality, economically, cultural background, um, where they were educated. But what I find is a general sense in the United States is that um, we don't have a lot of complexity around touch. It's kind of been sold to us and doesn't feel like it's ours to own. And so being that it's been monetized in that way, we have a small section of human beings that are are visually shown to have access to touch. And oftentimes you don't fit that little slice of people in the United States. You're somewhere on the spectrum of being chronically under-touched. And that vulnerability can lead to a lot of different things of our nervous system not being balanced. But for me as African heritage male, there's this very tender space where um, I have seen and have experienced that the lack of, of conditions around me that make platonic, thoughtful touch accessible has made um, nervous systems in myself and nervous systems people around me very violent and very dysfunctional in ways that I feel is uh, a healable, fixable, reachable. And I, that's where I've been kind of building the chronically undertouched project is like, I said, let me hone in on this piece here and see what there can be discovered. And what I've been able to find has been profound. And, and just to, to and first of all, you know, you, you brought up something so important. I have um, my four kids and, and one of them travels the globe. And she was saying how other cultures, they're so touchy, you know, they, 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 and they'll hold you and grab you and hug you and, and, be, and stare right in your eyes. And, and it's not in a weird way. It's in such a loving yeah. way. And we just are taught. Uh, or or raised not to do that. And, and it was something that she noticed, um, especially being in cultures like she was in Africa and she was in, mm-hmm. uh, she was, she has Indian friends and noticed mm-hmm. such a profound difference in those 
and uh, in those cultures. But but talk to us about the black community. You know, we had uh, there's another uh, episode that we had uh, betrayal in the black community, and I have a feeling um, there are going to be some some so many additional amazing insights you'll share as well. What how were you raised as far as touch, and you know what's acceptable, what's not? Yeah. Touch, growing up, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home, and so touch was definitely limited. And and touch that alluded to sensuality was particularly pushed off the table. But for African heritage men, um, a lot of the models I had is for us to be strong and for us to not have emotions. So touch was kind of a a, a buffet. And I know this is not unique to just African heritage men, but there's a level of, of death and carnage that we were navigating in our community that made touch more needed and also it was felt even deeper when it wasn't available and so i grew up, up in a very undertouched state i was able to get some supplement through an amazing pet and some earth and that was good but i had no actual guidance on how to really let that be as nourishing as it needed to be but was nourishing enough to help me survive my mental health was able to be put intact but no i did not grow up in a place where my brothers and i were able to cuddle we got along really well we're more likely to wrestle and and, and be rough with each other than we were to be tender and thoughtful. And that was normalized as far as that. There was no, I had zero examples of tender platonic exchange between men to men. And I know that's something that I feel is a prevalent in all backgrounds in the United States on some level, but I find in the black community, like I said, when we're taking on the targeted oppression, there's a way in which this, this enhances its limitations. And so that was, that was my childhood. It did not have, I didn't, I got maybe one or two hugs in 10 years from my father. I got a little more touch from my siblings, older sisters, but it was not um, in to interrupt the massive amount of like, I played football for four years. I was very athletic. These are things that are the opposite of thoughtful touch. It's mostly aggressive. So there's a way that was a huge imbalance of me even know what it felt like or even model in front of my eyes of what it might look like to see an African heritage cis male just say, I'm going to, let's cuddle. Let's be close. Let's do that. That would have been strange behavior if it ever arose on my mainstream or personal uh, landscape. Now, what did you see as far as, because you mentioned your sisters, was it different for the, the women that you saw around you? I felt like it was. I felt like they were still, they were probably in a trauma story we talk about in Hosea, but they were overtouched in some ways. I found this kind of interruption narrative where the black women in our community were being emotionally, their boundaries being crossed because the men were cranky undertouched. And so they were having a hard time. And, you know, this is 98, 99, 2000. This is 20 years ago or more. And so we didn't have the idea of boundaries or trauma informed or, I mean, it, it was a little fuzzier. And so the chronically undertouched men were more likely to break boundaries and overtouch women. So they ended up in an undertouched state because they just said, I'm cutting off all touch because I can't get touch that has boundaries set in it and men are over, under touch so we're, we're grabbing and manipulating to get to our touch and they're like i'm just gonna just obliterate so they're also under touched but they were getting a lot of over boundary breaking more violations and hurts and so that felt like a pretty prevalent thing within the broader community and some of my, my my cousins and family and church structure but definitely in a broader community i saw a lot of violations either like ones that weren't like actual like molestation but like really like have your hands off my body when I say no or I'm done. That what that means, and, and people actually listening. That was not as easily um, articulated, but there was no one tracking the undertest narrative, and no one even tracked the overtest narrative. So we both ended up in similar camps of like, oh, we're both undertouched. 
One is undertouched by design. One is overtouched. They choose to be more undertouched because they really have nothing than hurtful touch. That is so interesting because, you know, I know we, we look at the, the women saying, you know, it's so important to have your boundaries and, and yes, you know, this is your body and your, you know, you control the extent and level of touch, but I never, I never thought of it and looked at it as the, the, and, and I get, we're not speaking for everyone, but certain males are coming from this place of being so chronically undertouched that they don't have the skills. This is a lack of yeah. skill set of what yeah. is appropriate and what's what comes off as as just kind or supportive or yeah. loving and yeah. not overly. And it's just a lack of of education and lack of practice and lack of conditioning, I guess. So what what will you take us back to when you you mentioned you know ten years of barely yeah. getting a hug, how did you interpret that? Like, what did you make that mean? It was normal. Like, I didn't even realize my nervous system was 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 impacted, but it felt like reality. It felt like this is what everyone's doing. It would have felt strange for it to change. Um, when I started introducing touch to my body and, and to my community, and, to, and now I'm the one bringing it into conversation, that feels like a strange behavior. But the lack of touch and experience. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's eating your food. It's going out. It's just normal. What would have blew my mind? I, I remember hearing an interview just a couple of months ago, maybe earlier this year, about Mike Tyson crying before every fight. And I think to myself, oh, snap, if I would have saw Mike Tyson cry back in the day, like back in the 90s, when he performed, I would, it would have it threw me off. So for me, seeing him cry back then, which I never saw, but him referring to it in his interview just recently, is another example of I would have saw what I would call now human behavior, it would have landed on my system as like, what's going on? It would have landed as like, this is inappropriate. Yeah. That's what it would have landed like. So so the undertouched felt like normal. That's how embedded it was until it was interrupted. And when you were going through that place where, where it just felt normal for, for you, if you were to see, did you ever see, like, let's say see two, two men just hugging each other or being affectionate in just a, just a, a kind, loving way. Do, do you remember what you made that mean? I never saw that. What you just shared, that was not accessible. Yeah. It just wasn't. I can't think of one memory from zero when I first, my first memories until I reached after I started reaching for this work in my late twenties. We're talking about 29. I'm 41 now. So I'm late twenties going into my thirties. I didn't like say seeing platonic cis black men even do anything tender beyond football, wrestling, violence. I, I was, it's, it's ungoogleable. What you just described is ungoogleable and it's not accessible yeah. in my everyday life. And so now that I'm actually doing this work and making this environment this happens, it's still a rarity. I mean, I can only imagine if I asked you how many images you saw in the last six months of two cis black men cuddling, you'd be like, oh, snap. And I'm sure you do healing work. So I imagine that this is this is not something that I even saw. Like, this is still ungoogleable to this day. Like, <laughs> that's a name I really what we're talking about here. This is not, this is not, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely something that you don't, you just don't think about, you know? So let's talk about yeah. shame. Let's talk about shame because mm -hmm. shame, it yeah. plays a role in so many of our, you know, how we show up, what we do, what we don't do. How does, let's just talk about it. If I just say the word shame, is that what comes to your mind as far as like what, 
that would have been labeled as if you were uh, to touch back then? Or just talk to us about shame. Well, for me, shame doesn't show up first for the way this sits on my body is, is danger. Like if I were to cuddle or ask for a cuddle from another black man, his response might be hitting me in my throat to push me away. To, it'd be a violent response. It wouldn't, I might feel shame after the conflict had happened or after he maybe, but oftentimes it's, it's, it's safety becomes the first thing because the way the trauma so hits in our bodies, because we're under touch, our nervous system, amongst other things we've been conditioned with, is almost violent first. So the shame doesn't arrive until I start to, like even now as I'm now making it more of a part of my culture, that people are more projecting or pushing shame upon me of saying, you should be ashamed of yourself trying to take the masculineness out of our men. And I, I want to articulate that that being tender and connected is a human activity. And that I think what I do now is I mostly, in this current space, is I oftentimes sit where shame should be. Like when shame is projected on me, you should be ashamed of yourself for Aaron. You can do all this kind of work. You consulting, you do why are you focused on this tender, platonic? That's just Aaron. You're such a masculine man. Why are you, why are you when, it, when that comes at me, I am now very clear that shame sits as a marker where oppression wants me to not see myself as human. And so anytime I see that happen, I always go, no, I refuse to allow myself at this stage of my wisdom to allow oppression to say that I am not human. And so I, I am able to pretty much position myself to not hit me directly. But I do know that the young African men that I work with, this is a tender place that they have to really wrestle with shame. And one of the things I ask them often is I ask them when we're in the process of building out a touch plan for them, I say, when and where did your mind and body get introduced to shame? And they always look at me and go, oh, it was introduced. This is not something I was born out of the womb and it was like shame was a part of my like, like, man, how can I sleep and I have shame? No, it's not there. It got introduced and it's an origin story. And when they realize it was introduced, what it means is it's actually not a part of who we are. It's not. And so that's been a great place for us to find a breakthrough for a lot of the folks that are like trying to wrestle with the shame that can come up or be projected upon them when they're asked, um, I'm going to say this very thoughtfully, when they're asked to be human yeah. and being human is to be connected tonically to other people and to fight for that as a part of our behavior naturally occurring. Yeah, and I imagine it is not an easy road because whenever you introduce something that invites someone to confront their own beliefs, their own conditioning, their mm -hmm. own behaviors, the automatic response is going to be, this is wrong. It is wrong because it goes against what we've been taught, what we've seen, what we've been conditioned to believe. And, but, but it's, it's, if there's a willingness, I always use that word willingness because that's the game changer I find to so many things mm -hmm. with that willingness to consider just because these are my beliefs, are they, do they serve? Do they make me feel good? Are they right for me? You're really, yes. it's like you're holding up the mirror and asking them to look yeah. at, at who they are yeah. and how they've been raised and inviting them to change. And I imagine that's not an easy road. It's not, but it's a really sacred road that I'm determined to be on for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. So then if someone is chronically undertouched, how do, how do they how do they navigate 
relationships? What, how do they know mm. if they're like close with mm. someone, not close with someone? Yeah. What's the gauge? What's the yeah. yeah. So I think for me, I had all these thoughts. Like if you have, haven't had touch for three minutes and this many weeks and months, that makes you a crunk in a touch. And really what I realized when I started to really access people's heart on this, I will conclude that if you're breathing and you live in America, you're somewhere on the spectrum of being chronically undertouched. Um, the pace in which raising children, going to work, um, how much time we actually have for nourishment, we are in a place of underexposure to nature and unexposure to actual thoughtful platonic touch. And so for me to not get so broad, everyone's like, okay, we're having a touch, what do we do? But to kind of sink it in, go to war, how does that settle on my actual experience of where I actually am? And this varies because some people's nervous systems, they don't need that much touch. There are people that their nervous systems are set up. They're like, I don't actually need that much touch. Track that, right? So your under touch is actually a balance for you because you're feeling good. But I would say there's a majority of our population that when they really assess who can touch me, listen to my words, balance what I need to make it exchangeable, it's not extractive out of me. I can actually give and receive touch in a thoughtful way. The list gets very, very short. Right. And so what I find is that what I would say when you're trying to understand where you are in your undertouched state, the first thing I would assess is how is your life designed? How much time do you have set aside for intimacy, particularly platonic intimacy? Now, people think intimacy goes right to sexual, which is important, but platonic actually makes it way much more of our reality than our actual sexual contact. And so to ask yourself, how much time do I've set aside this week? We'll say it a week. It is less than an hour. You have less than an hour set aside for platonic intimacy with intention. You are now in a category of being severely cranked and touched, right? Because the average person needs something like 15 to 20 minutes of thoughtful platonic touch per day. So if you're an hour per week, you're already nutritionally unbalanced. Now, I don't want you to run into the corner and be like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in trouble now. I need to get it all up and, I, and get all my touch needs met. But I would say is that really assess your life and go, what is the emotional time, life design, economics, all those play a factor in me redesigning my life to make more space, to expose myself to emotionally intelligent people that have capacity to reach for me in a thoughtful way and not be just distractive and get what they want because they're in a crunk and untouched state that you can have that language of like, hey, we're both been married for X amount of years, but I realize that we've been focusing on raising our children, our, our careers, or living in a very housing crisis environment where we're trying to make our bills that we actually haven't actually took 10 minutes to reach for each other. So I would say is regardless of where you're on the spectrum, I would say, what would it take to get a cell phone and time yourself? That's what we do all the time. We call them like scratch holding sessions in our own community. I get a timer and I say, I just want to hold your hand, look you in the eye. I just want to notice what's going on in my body for three minutes. And then when a the beeper goes off, I'll say, I want to give you an opportunity to observe what you were able to notice in that experience. And then we'll switch it and I give you attention. I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm just going to hold your hands. Hold one hand if that's safe for you. If, you, if it's Peter better, we done back to back, whatever feels good for the relationship and sit and listen to you for three minutes uninterrupted. And I have found that women and femme folks are oftentimes more skillful at this exercise. When I first did it, it took me almost a year before I got really settled in this holding space for something for 10 minutes without having the urge to interrupt and engage, but just be with. So I think for me, that simple slowdown has been profound for so many folks that were like, I started with the five minute practice and it's also 10 minute practice. Now my husband and I have a two hour practice every weekend where we actually set a soft timer, but now we almost feel internally where he just holds for me and, and vice versa. As simple as that is, the listening is a part of it, especially romantically and in like more close relationships, even like platonic relationships, that the listening is also lacking in the United States. So touch without listening oftentimes is a violation. So 
being able to practice listening with a touch, I have found to be a very big interruptive way that folks can start to find their way into a more touch balance. Now we can get more involved and more time talk about touch with nature and animals and and grief and and rage, but that's a whole different level of like touch programming that we can build into. But in a short, I would say start with a short timed five to 10 minute session with your loved one. So when you trust and watch your nervous system go, oh, wow, this is great. Wow. And the nervous system doesn't lie. And, you know, so I can, it, it, it's, it's an incredible amount of vulnerability. Now, I always try to get into the, the minds of my listeners and viewers. And I imagine here's a young black man who you are saying stuff that he has been taught like the opposite. That's not what a man's supposed to do and all of that. But he's listening. He's listening and he's listening long enough to say, you know, I've been taught something so different, but something doesn't feel right. So take that person who's listening right now. What would be like a first step for someone like him? I think the first step is to try and quiet his body and space. Like don't try and say, is Aaron right or wrong? Or is this wrong to say, where can I go find a quiet space? And I recommend just self-touch. Just simply get some coconut oil or some just simple baby oil will work, whatever simple skin open to uh, And just track, if you get a quiet spot, just like do a simple like chest massage, maybe massage your arm and notice not just how you feel, but notice how, how tender you can be with yourself. And what does that do to your body when you're tender with yourself? We, we work out, we bench, oh, I'm sore. But what happens when I just am practicing tenderness with myself, notice how that lands on your own system. And then ask yourself, is that wrong? Does that feel like it's the worst thing that's happened? You probably played four years of football, coach had us run, run into each other full speed, knock each other out. You've seen UFC knock ourselves out. These people get choked unconscious. That was all normal. And we all know that's not good for our system. It was entertaining maybe for a moment, but those folks have injuries that they go on for a lifetime. But it's tracked what injury is happening when you thoughtfully massage yourself. And then ask yourself, the most loving either partner or friend or someone you would trust, say it's a partner, it might be easier for you to enter into this plane because you're not used to other Black men doing this. So picture your, your maybe your partner that you care and love for, not being a sexual way, but simply massaging you intuitively, not professional, intuitively, just gently noticing your body and noticing your skin and appreciating you platonically and go, does that feel ungoogleable? Does that feel like it's just jacking with your nervous system? Do you feel like you're settling? And the last thing I would say is if you can lay on your back, if you have someone you trust, potentially if you're, you're a young black man, you're starting out this process, you might want to start with a femme person, uh, a female person might help you feel safer in this way because how you've been conditioned is I would have them just hold the back of your head, just right, on the, right, on the, right in the back, right back of the base of your neck with their hands and just lift gently and just hold you for 10 minutes straight. Maybe with some music on, just hold you. And I want you to allow yourself to scan your body and see how your body responds to that and track and say, huh, does that feel damaging? Does that feel like something might be nice happening? And then you ask yourself, why is this the first time you might have done this in your life? Why you haven't done this a whole bunch more times? And if you, you just, I, I would say that would, that would be enough evidence to you be on to yourself going, you know what, this brother's on to something. And it really wouldn't even matter who's holding you. Whoever's holding you, as long as they're thoughtful and they're loving you, it could be a, a bigger brother, it could be a father, it could be, you're going to notice your system going, this is needed. Yeah. That's what I would recommend. 
I, I love those tips. They're very practical. And I know it's something that, that we can implement. And, you know, it, it may be uh, feel awkward and weird because it's so unfamiliar, just like everything else we've ever tried. You know, in the beginning, we stink at it and we're not sure and and we're awkward but if we keep going check your body your body your body doesn't lie and you know it's interesting how you say just even with the with self-touch rubbing your arms and things that is such a somatic body-based practice even to get your nervous system back online you know sort of giving yourself that that gentle hug i love the idea and you mentioned it earlier about pets and and nature briefly tell us like how would, I mean, we always have dogs and it's for that oxytocin, that boost of love. Tell us how pets and nature could help us with this as well. It's everything. I, I, I think in a culture where we're not going to change our touch plan quickly as a culture, pets, if you if I had a magic wand and I wanted to make America collapse, I could just hit a magic button. All the pets in the world would disappear from America. We would collapse because pets are the supplement and the evidence that having a living thing give you and hold attention with you is a life-saving act in this culture where we're undertouched collectively. So I just want to name that um, I wouldn't be here talking to you um, if I didn't have a dog named Toby. And she's buried at my parents' church. And I was cranking her touch. And I asked myself, how did I survive? How did I survive from 11 to 18? Toby. Toby was the dog. Toby was the only living thing that saw me cry in that era. When I got so overwhelmed, I began to cry. I would not cry for my parents, my brothers, my girlfriend, none of them. I would go outside and Toby was such a great energetic dog. She saw me cry, right? She saw me tender. That I imagine there are a lot of cats. There are a lot of like dogs, rats that have more emotional attention than people's married partner right now. And it's not because their partners are bad, but because of our culture so designed that we don't have a lot of safe places. Oftentimes, animals are that safe regulating space, especially dogs, because dogs are like, they just have that endless love for folks. Generally speaking, cats are a little more complex in their emotions. They're amazing, but they're almost like, I take care of myself. Cats got boundaries. Dogs are like, I don't give a guy. I will lick you every day, every day. And nonetheless, I have a cat and a dog. My point ultimately is, is that pets are one of the places I see America reaching for humanity on a regular basis. And I get it. I get it. When I look at the chronic undertouched trauma story, I'm like, oh, snap. Now you ask nature to be involved in that narrative. This is a whole different narrative. I imagine most people don't realize how much their touch plan should include it and how much it doesn't often. And so for me, I remember I was in San Francisco teaching a workshop and I was like, I was there for like four days and I was like working with some amazing young people. And I remember going in the last day, my hands were shaking and I'm a pretty solid individual. I really have like get thrown off. And I was like, why is my nervous system so like off? Like I was like jittery, like almost like I had too much coffee. I don't even drink coffee. And I remember going into the room. The last activity in that class was to teach a clay exercise. And I dipped my hand in the clay and I felt my whole system like, like almost refill itself. And I realized that I was in an Uber. I was on cement. I was in a plastic building with some wood. I had not touched actual earth, raw earth for almost a week. And my body, I live in the desert, a lot of dirt around me on a regular basis. And my body was letting me know. So I imagine that in a, in a, any kind of touch plan, and I would say humane activity, try your best to get your feet, your hands into some raw water, not a swimming pool full of chlorine, like just some raw water and on some earth. And I could tell you many ways to take clay and rub it on your body and hold clay balls and meditate and sing. But ultimately, I just know that we assess our contact with the earth 
in most large, productive capitalist culture cities, nature is not a good thing for our capitalist structure. So therefore, we're not actually going to have it. Some some bosses are like, oh, put it like a live wall in this corporate building. Oh, put some plants in here. That's useful. Do it. Do it. But ultimately, in our touch plan, all things I talked about, that touch and holding, go ahead and take yourself out into a forest, out into a park, take your shoes off and hold the hands. Oh, that's like just putting a super container of nature and human touch. 20 minutes a day. Oh, that's medications will start going away if you start doing that every day. Woo. Yeah, I agree. And think about it, you know, just even how you feel. This is one of those things also. Check how you feel when you're in nature. You feel yes. good. It's good for us. Aaron, what do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? Well, I think I said this at the end of almost all my talks. I've been doing a couple of keynotes over the last several weeks. And I said, make thoughtful platonic touch Googleable for all bodies and specifically folks of the global majority or BIPOC folks. Like we need to bring this tenderness and humanness as Googleable, as accessible as the NFL or UFC of violent images. I play four years of football, it's a powerful entertaining sport, but my goodness, it hasn't done much for our nervous systems. And right now, I wanna make that Googleable. So I would just say, y'all, let's reach for these tender images, get the hashtags going, get the kids thinking about it, sing songs about it, but make sure this human behavior is becoming Googleable. That's my desire. I, I love that. And when you think about um, it, just the more people that receive and give that level of healthy platonic touch, you could just see what it would do, how it would calm the nervous systems, how it would just show love in such a beautiful way to the people who so desperately need it. Aaron, where do we go to learn more about you and the great work you do? I would just go to cutproject.org and we have some exciting podcasts on there. Hopefully this will be added to the list and we have a documentary working on because I want to make this Googleable. We have a text talk that's going to be landing probably in the next three to four days. And so we have a lot of good things happening on this cut because we're trying to make it Googleable. So go to cutproject.org and reach for us. And we'll have everything in the show notes. Aaron, I want to thank you so much for your time and your attention and your wisdom. This is something that, uh, was is is very much needed and i'm i'm hoping our mm -hmm. listeners and viewers just take this to the next level take it seriously get these ideas into practice and share this while you're sharing it with everybody you know share it with the black community specifically the black men because yeah. these are yeah. the ones who it sounds like you're you're going after because they really really need it thank you yeah I thought it was so interesting when Aaron explained how the chronically undertouched, like the black male community Aaron was speaking about, doesn't have the experience of what's appropriate, which can lead to violating, overtouching, and crossing boundaries, which is just one of the reasons why Aaron's mission is such an important one. Stay in touch with him by going to cutproject.org, and we'll have all of his information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. This can all be taught. One, start with self-touch where you're rubbing your arm, for example. As Aaron said, does that feel so wrong? Two, get and give a massage to someone you feel close to. Three, hold the back of their head and have them hold the back of your head for 10 minutes. Feel the safety in your body. Of course, pets are so easy to be cuddly with. I mean, I'm not so sure about a fish.
<laughs> so that's a great place to start too. And chemically, you're also giving yourself a boost of oxytocin, also known as the cuddle hormone, which is released when we're demonstrating healthy touch. Like the show? Share it with a friend. How? From your phone, just take a screenshot of the podcast and share it with someone you know who'd benefit. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.